Thank you for joining us here with the First Love Ministries at the First Presbyterian Church of Jacksonville, Illinois for Sunday, June 6th, 2021. Guest pastor, Reverend Chris Williams, has titled his sermon, Be Careful What You Ask For. Today's liturgist is Julie Beninga. Our organist is Christine Smith. Special music is a saxophone solo titled Sweet D Orchestra, performed by Jenny Smith. Our first scripture reading is from Psalms 138, 1 through 8. Our second scripture reading is from 1 Samuel 8, 4 through 20. And then chapter 11. 14 and 15. The scripture reading is from Psalm 138, verses 1 through 8. Let us listen to the word of God. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted your name and your word above everything. On the day I called, you answered me. You increased my strength of soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth. They shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he perceives from far away. Though I walk in the midst of troubles, you preserve me against the wrath of my enemies. You stretch out your hand, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Good morning. Um, it is good to be here. Um, for those of you who may be like me, who don't necessarily read through the entire bulletin um, right away when you get here and just kind of wait as the service unfolds, my name is Chris Williams, and it is um, an honor to be asked to serve um, as your um, speaker today, as your preacher. Um, I am a pastor um, ordained in the PCUSA, um, recently moved here to Jacksonville. Um, the reason I moved here to Jacksonville is my wife, who is a United Methodist pastor, was appointed to be the, the new pastor last July, so about a year now, at Wesley Chapel, the Point Church just west of town. So um, I want to let you know how excited I am to be here in a Presbyterian church where we know how to pray debts and debtors as opposed to trespasses. And since I have been worshiping with my wife throughout the whole pandemic, um, if I goof up, please forgive me. <laughs> Anyways, I'm going to be reading today from the Old Testament. We're going to be looking at the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 8, verses 4 through 20, and then moving on to chapter 11, verses 14 and 15. Let us listen to the word of God. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow in your ways. Appoint for us then a king to govern us like the other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to govern us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. And just as they have done to me from the day that I brought them up out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so also they are doing to you. Now then, listen to their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel reported all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king. And he said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots, to be his horsemen and to, to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow the ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his courtiers. He will take one-tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his courtiers. He will take your male and female slaves and the best of your cattle and donkeys and put them to his work. He will take one-tenth of your flock, and you shall be his slaves. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but we are determined to have a king over us so that we may also be like the other nations, that our king may govern us and, and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingship. So all the people went to Gilgal and there they made Saul, ki Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. 
They sacrificed offerings of well-being before the Lord, and there Saul and all the Israelites rejoiced greatly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. From its inception, when Moses led the Hebrew people out of Egypt through the wilderness for 40 years to the threshold of the promised land, the nation of Israel had existed as a theocracy. They were a loose and independent group of tribes, united and bound together as a people under the rule of one true God. They didn't have a king or a pharaoh or any supreme executive leader in power. God was the ruler. And from time to time, yes, in periods of need, prophets and priests and judges would step forward to be a mouthpiece for God, letting the people know his will. And names such as Moses, Deborah, Samson, Gideon, and Samuel would become heroes to the people. But for all of their influence, these leaders had very little real power over the people. The ruler of Israel was God and God alone. And for the most part, the system worked. Yes, from time to time, the, the people would rebel against God, but there was always a, a new prophet or judge who would step forward, who would raise their voice, and would help lead the people back to God. And this is where we arrive at in our scripture today. Because as people are want to do, the Hebrew people eventually came to want more. They looked around at the, the seven nations of the Canaanite people that surrounded them. They saw their strong kings, men who were larger than life, warriors who led their armies into battle. And the Israelites wanted for themselves that king as well. They wanted somebody to step forward and to begin doing the work for them. Give us a king to govern us, they said. We are determined to have a king over us so that we may be like other nations and that our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. And on the surface, I have to admit there's a certain logic in their request. Up until now, the, the unity between the tribes was somewhat haphazard and unsteady. There was no consistency or certainty on when the judges might arise and no continuity leading from one judge to another. A king would provide many functions, strong and visible centralized rule, active hands-on military leadership, and the creation of a sense of legitimacy amongst all the, the surrounding nations. Samuel, however, after voicing his displeasure and praying to God, was shown what this request of the people really was. It was a turning away from God. The people wanted to be like other nations who didn't follow God. The people wanted to be, um, or wanted to have someone to do the work of, of being a faithful people for them. They wanted more than they felt they were being given by God. So Samuel, after listening to God, explains the cost of this request to the people. A king will take your sons, he says. He will use them as his chariot drivers, his horsemen, his troops, his field hands, his weapons manufacturers. A king will take your daughters, 
and he will use them as his perfumers and cooks and bakers. Your land will go to his supporters. You and yours will become his. And Samuel says, when you get what you asked for, you can't change your mind. There are no takebacks. God isn't going to listen to you when you say we were wrong. But the people of Israel, hard-headed as we all are at times, had made up their mind. We are determined to have a king, they said. Well, the story might simply make for a great history lesson, if not for the fact that history has a way of repeating itself over and over and over again throughout time. And is often the case when we read scripture. It seems to me that we as Christians are still trying to learn our lessons some 2,000 years later, 3,000 even. That like the Hebrew people, we maybe are still looking for that king to do the work of being a faithful disciple for us. I say this as we are half a year removed from a presidential election and during 2020, it seemed to me that promises were made left and right about how candidates for office, local, state, and federal offices, would help our nation align with the values that we hold. One of the biggest voting blocks targeted by candidates of each party is the Christian voter. And so we had one political party promising Christians that they would help to make our nation more Christian through personal piety laws, through putting prayer in school, making abortion illegal, and by reversing state marijuana laws. And then another party said that they would make our nation more Christian through social justice laws, through creating more opportunities for immigrants, protecting the environment, and providing health care for all. And I think we've gotten so passionate, uh, we've gotten to a point that we're so passionate about these issues, so worked up about how our government needs to do more for our faith, about which candidates would better serve the church and about what various institutions are, are doing and saying that we can't even talk about these issues in polite conversation anymore. We're afraid to talk about these issues at church for fear we might start a fight with our friends and neighbors. And while I don't know this particular congregation, this is my first time here, my experience throughout my 45 years of being a Christian is that because we can't talk about it, what often happens is we don't talk about it. We become content to let the politicians, the, the kings in Washington and Springfield do what they promise to do for others, and we focus inwardly on ourselves, our wants, our needs, and our desires. And on the weeks where we feel led to do mission, we, we do so by making a quick presentation, and we do a quick offering, and we move on with our lives. Far too many Christians, and I say this um, saying myself included, are more likely to make a political donation than we are to invest serious time, energy, and sweat in a local Christian ministry to others. We like having the kings to do it for us. Now, if you were to keep reading past today's passage through the rest of 1st and 2nd Samuel, if you were to read through 1st and 2nd Kings, you would see that the monarchy failed miserably for the people of Israel. Even the greatest of kings, David, made 
huge mistakes that affected the, the people of the nation. And within four generations of um, electing or selecting a king, um, the, the kingdom of Israel would be torn in half with two kings ruling over them. Within 200 years, the northernmost of those kingdoms would fall to the Assyrian Empire. Uh, another 150 years later, 130 years later, Babylon would capture Jerusalem and the southern kingdom. And the monarchy would be dead. For the next 2,500 years, the land between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea would be ruled by a revolving door of various empires and nation states. All of that being said, however, God has a way, has a way of redeeming our poor choices. And God had a plan for redeeming the Israelites' desire for a king. In 2 Samuel 7, 12 and 13, God makes a promise to King David. He says, your house and your kingdom shall be established forever. And we see that promise fulfilled in the birth of God's son, Jesus Christ. As Mary was told that her son would be given the throne of his ancestor, David. Jesus is king. But in Jesus, we saw the creation of a new kind of king. Not the monarchs that we saw in, in ancient Israel. But we saw a king who didn't rule from a throne, but instead knelt before his people, teaching them, serving them, loving them. Jesus didn't command a, an army of soldiers with which to defeat his enemies. Instead, he offered his life in order to defeat the power of death over all people. Jesus never surrounded himself with riches and prestige. He instead was born in a manger, worked as a laborer, a carpenter, lived amongst the poor, and died what was seen as a criminal's death. Jesus was a new type of king, one who didn't play politics and, and tell the people what they wanted to hear. He was a new type of king, one who taught us to care for the least and the lost, for the, the sick and the injured of the world. He was a new type of king, one who showed us that love trumps power. Jesus came as king to redeem his people and his church. And he showed us that part of that redemption comes from our willingness to pick up our cross and to follow him. It comes from focusing on the people in front of us at, at more of a grassroots, grassroots level rather than focusing on the people um, that, that we will never meet and whose faces we will never see. It comes from our willingness to allow God in control of our lives at a personal level, one that challenges us to leave our comfort zones and to listen to the voices of faith, the, the, the judges and the prophets that still exist amongst us. Those that challenge our thinking, that tell us difficult truths, and who say those things that, frankly, we don't necessarily always want to hear. And I think that's the message that I hear from our text today. The reminder that following a king too closely is never good for our faith, never good for our church, frankly, never good for our nation. I've seen recent statistics that suggest that only about 65% of Americans currently identify as Christian, but as few as 25% identify as being active in their Christian faith. 
And I think if we're going to change these trend lines, we need to stop asking our nation's kings to do the work for us. Neither Donald Trump nor Joe Biden will make us a more Christian nation. Baptist pastors, Senator Raphael Warnock and Senator James Lankford are not going to make us a more Christian nation. Focus on the family and the, the poor people's campaign won't get us there. If we are going to advance the message of Jesus Christ to the world, then the work has to start with us. Laws, public debates, political edicts don't change hearts and minds. Listening to a neighbor, serving a person in need, being a friend to others does. The work of spreading the faith is done one person at a time, one conversation at a time, one act of kindness at a time. And that, friends, is why the strongest, most effective organization in Christianity today is this church, is each and every other local congregation doing the work of ministry day in and day out. Because we have the power to change lives in far more powerful ways than anybody else in government. If I was to ask each and every person here, why are you a Christian? My guess is I would receive a hundred stories about an individual who shared the faith one-on-one -on -one with you, who took the time to listen and love and care. And so First Presbyterian Church, or West, Westminster Presbyterian Church. First, okay, that's what I thought, and then I looked it up and I'm all confused, so forgive me. First Presbyterian Church, I encourage you to keep doing the ministry that you are called to. Keep the ministry of this congregation and of this community in focus. Let the politicians in Washington do their thing, and we will be a people bound in allegiance to God and to the difficult challenges he calls us to. In closing, we need to remember to be careful what we ask for. See, the people of Israel, they asked for a king, even though that they were warned against it, and they received what they asked for. If we want to advance the gospel message of Jesus Christ, we must be willing to put in the blood, the sweat, and the tears of effective, life-changing ministry in our community. But we must be careful what we ask for, because we just might get it. And in doing so, we might change the world. Glory be to God. Amen.
The congregation and visitors can now enter through the east or north doors. Our in-person service starts at 10 a.m. We do, however, ask that you keep your mask on while moving about in the building. In the sanctuary, there are two sections, one for vaccinated and one for unvaccinated individuals. The ushers will guide you to the section of your choice. Those in the vaccinated section can now sing without a mask. Join us at www.facebook.com slash firstpresjax slash and join our Monday First Pres Jax community group, which meets at 7 p.m. every Monday. This is a question, answer, and sharing group with the pastor. This is a private room, and you will be asked a few questions before entering to make sure you are a human and not a robot. Presbyterians with a Purpose is another program available at the First Presbyterian Church of Jacksonville for individuals needing to contact someone during these challenging times of the pandemic. You can visit that link. Just visit our homepage and find the link for Presbyterians with a Purpose. We also offer a Sunday live service starting at 9.55 a.m. You can visit www.firstpresjax.org donate and make your contribution there. Or send contributions to First Presbyterian Church, 870 West College, Jacksonville, Illinois, 62650. You also can contribute through your bank using bill pay. If an account number is needed, please use 870-870-870. Our phone number is 217-245-4189. Our email is office at firstpresjax.org. That's office at firstpresjax.org. 